0: I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the
1: Citadel. Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy
2: FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy Normandy FM. Normandy FM.
0: Norma 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 Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular extracurricular episode. No, I'm just kidding. This is like required. This is this is required coursework for Normandy FM. Kenneth Shepard, you know that this is required coursework because we're doing some some study that's going to help us understand the ending of Mass Effect today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, are you excited? I am. I, She's Eric and good am shit. very excited because the one and only... A.J. Moser is here to join us on the show. How you doing, A.J.?
1: Hello, hello. I'm very excited to be here and uh, dive deep into some of my favorite Mass Effect stuff.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, we, we got our first joke out of the way. Good. No more jokes. This, no. this, this ain't that type of podcast. Shut that down right now. Less than one uh, minute in. I know, right? <laughs> I was the one saying Leviathan of D's nuts before <laughs> we <even laughs> started recording, so... Um, yeah, we've got AJ on today. First time podcast guest right at the end of Mass Effect 3. You know, we figured, why not throw one more wrench into the system before we do this? <laughs> you know, it could potentially tank the whole podcast. But AJ, I'm glad that if somebody tanks this podcast, you're the one to do it.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad I wasn't, you know, added on uh, after the actual ending as something to help illuminate uh, the context of the ending of this podcast itself.
0: Exactly. 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 You know, that would be... That would make the ending almost retro- retroactively feel, like, I don't know, kind of muddy, and then you'd have to really like cope with those feelings over this course of, like, I don't know, a year, and then, you know, eventually you'd have to make some sort of make good that would kind of tie everything up neatly, even though it really didn't affect the ending at all, it just kind of made you feel warm and fuzzy, even though the ending was different, but you know, we don't have any experience with that here at Normandy FM, because we just play Mass Effect 3, so... <laughs> That would certainly be strange. <laughs> I'm picturing Ken, like, just squeezing this, like, stress ball until it <laughs> pops right now. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, you, you get to subject me to Mass Effect Andromeda, all right? Oh. The, people <laughs> yes. are the people have decided that we're doing that already, so... Is this is like, this
1: again, or is this for the first time?
0: I, I played through about uh, what we have estimated to be about a half. Of, uh, of Andromeda, maybe a third to a half. Uh, and I remember very little of what I played other than that. I just went, man, I don't like this. <laughs> and bounced out. So, uh, hmm. yeah. But the people out there have spoken, and they need me to endure the suffering that I am due. Or, you so, know, just,
2: like, reevaluate your past biases. I'm I,
0: Maybe... Is it possible that the other half of that game's real good? Time yeah. will tell. <laughs> so, in the meantime, we've got a uh, Leviathan to look at because this this here Leviathan, it's it's here. It's big. I this is the most ominously named DLC because all the other ones when I looked at it, I was like, okay, Omega, you're going to Omega, Citadel, you're on the Citadel, you know, Lair of the Shadow Broker. We're gonna go hunt down the Lair of the Shadow Broker. Leviathan Sounds like a Cthulhu sort of thing going on here. I was already kind of a little worried going in about where this was going to go. And I know this was the one that I've heard a lot of people say ties everything together and maybe gives more context to the ending. And I'm not necessarily sure about that, but we will slowly uh... un- we will slowly un- unpack that as we go. So the first thing to talk about with Leviathan is that uh, it's... <laughs> it's kind of this side mission that starts out very like unassumingly because you, you get over there and we're basically told that some things have, have gone down. There is uh, a researcher who needs our help and it might have bearing towards the reapers. And we got to go head over to his lab and see what's going on. And, uh, immediately when we get there, things are already going awry. Uh, his, as we are speaking with people and learning about his discoveries, uh His assistant just straight up shoots him, and that kind of kicks off what eventually becomes this larger like murder mystery. and so Ken i I want to kick this off real quick because we both had the exact same note to start with that Bryson is alarmingly modeled in this game
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like and I've never been able to find who it is. Like or why? Like and the dude, like he he eats it like less than five minutes into the DLC. So like they put a lot of effort into somebody that wasn't gonna be around that long too. So
0: yeah, he dies like right away, and I I'm just kind of left there going like wow they really modeled this dude that just kind of eats it right the beginning. <laughs> uh, but as we start this sort of investigation into what's going on. This is the, like, first part of the DLC where I was like, ooh, this this is good. Because we talked a lot about on this podcast already about how it's cool when Mass Effect does things that feel like you're interacting with the world in a way that hasn't existed prior. And I'm kind of interested to hear how AJ felt about this part because, like we we've, we've talked a lot about how cool all the sections are where you're not shooting your gun cuz that's what you're doing for like the rest of the game but this whole investigation thing like what did you how did you feel about the whole mystery and like going around the lab and piecing together different clues and all that
1: yeah it's it's certainly an interesting break from the run and gun style gameplay of Mass Effect and i think it's interesting too in keeping with the sort of lovecraftian theme of like the later revelations of this DLC um I sort of make it a personal purpose to sort of play any game that comes out set in the Lovecraft mythos, and there have been plenty of bad ones and some decent ones. Uh, More decent ones in the recent memory, too, but a lot of them do this... Uh, detective grunt work style stuff that you see here sort of replicated in the earlier parts of this mission where you were running around the lab sort of looking for clues and backtracing and uh, cross-referencing things that people had said or data files and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting to watch Bioware sort of grapple with those systems where, you know, there's already so much going on in Mass Effect to kind of layer on like an investigation style mm. gameplay system on top of it. Uh, it's it's certainly not the most robust detective work that's ever been in a game, but I found it super interesting that uh, they stick to that sort of approved Lovecraft story through and through, even when it's not this grotesque uh, creature situation. This this uh, ground-level detective work is super fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is sort of, obviously, this isn't the most compelling stuff in the DLC, but Leviathan from the jump, even as described, I remember, you know, before I had even played it, having played through Mass Effect 3 and and wanting to see this piece of content the way it was described, uh, this tracking down this mythical Reaper-killing creature was super evocative and very just, like, interesting. Your mind obviously imagines something that the game could never replicate, but these early sections Mm -hmm. tease that out again where, you know, it's this lab, everything's sort of gone wrong and you're, you're searching out for the mystery. And I do think these sections are particularly effective in you know, guiding the player's imagination to the most horrible thing they could imagine and and leading you to these disturbing Mm -hmm. revelations. So I think the sort of, like, haunted setting of it really is something that, for the most part, I think, I can't really think of any parallels that are in the Mass Effect series uh, to this investigation sequence, and I find it super, super interesting to revisit at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the closest thing they have is, like, the Samara loyalty mission back in Mass Effect Mm -hmm. 2, where, like, you were having to investigate that apartment. Yeah! Um, But even that, like was kind of bare-bones, even compared to this, which, like we said, it's not as robust as, you know, things that are, like, more definitively about an investigation, like Danganronpa or Phoenix Wright. But it is, you know... It's a this thing that Mass Effect has never really touched on to this degree before. And I think one of the things that sticks out to me now is that it was also the first, like, real-story DLC that Mass Effect 3 got. And even, like, the only thing... That at this point that we'd gotten those near the scales layer of the Shadow Broker, and I think this as like a precursor to something like Omega or Citadel, like really showed that they were going all in on DLC in a way that they hadn't gone before.
1: Yeah, I really wanted yeah. to dig into that actually. Just the sort of to to jump back in time a little bit to when Leviathan or to right before Leviathan had hit actually, be, just because knowing how everything shook out with Mass Effect Three, here here comes this very. Ominously named Leviathan DLC, mm-hmm. the first piece of story for Mass Effect 3 that teases, you know, tying back up the loose ends of the story in, in whatever fashion. But, and then these early missions sort of talking about the history of the Reapers, uh, some great cosmic mystery. I think anticipation was that sort of a fever pitch for Leviathan, and I had played it sort of in sequence, and it's interesting to look back on it. I think going in without the expectation of it being this thing that would significantly shift the Mass Effect franchise forever, which I don't think it is, but as this self-contained piece of Lovecraft-inspired mystery, I think it's, I I enjoyed, again, watching it uh, much more this time around than I had uh, with my initial memories from playing through it the first time.
0: The thing you you bring up, yeah, you bring up like Lovecraft, and that's something like I wrestled with a lot because I played this, and then in in more recent memory, I I played a game called The Sinking City, which is like yes, I I also um, just
1: played through that one, so top of mind, And,
0: and. it uses like a lot of the same similar style of setup where you're investigating mysteries and you're kind of looking at clues and figuring out how they link together and eventually building up this sort of, you know, mind palace to get to whatever the end result is like the mechanically they're very similar. But the thing that I think Leviathan both initially captured and then eventually like failed to do for me was this sense that it was leading towards some sort of actual, um, like, like, actual thing that i would still be unable to comprehend because that's the whole like scary part of cthulhu and all the the lovecraftian mythos is that you think you've got like a grip on what things are and then you start to learn that like maybe you don't and then maybe you're losing your grip and trying to understand it whereas here it was very much like you're still kind of putting together the puzzle pieces and it's like okay this is what this thing is and it 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 definitely has like those tinges of lovecraft but it's like They let it go and then had to, like, pull it back down to be like, okay, keep it grounded in Mass Effect. Keep it Mm grounded. We can't have, like, extremely cosmic Elder God space horror. We've already got the... Like, the thing that always got me was they needed the Reapers to always be the scariest threat that existed in this universe. And so, like, the idea Uh... of Leviathan, this, like, being that was greater than the Reapers was cool, but by the end of this... See, by the end of this DLC, you end up at this point where you're kind of like, Yeah, like there's a really cool ending to this DLC that's like just friggin' awesome, and I'm really excited to talk about mm. it. But, um, I ended up feeling, and, and granted, like again, I have not played to the end of my Mass Effect 3 playthrough yet, so maybe this will affect the ending in some way that is a little bit more impressive. But it ended up feeling a little inconsequential in the scheme of things because mm. you just kind of get the sense of like, Oh yep, they're yeah, cool. I, we can talk more about that later, but I, I felt like the Lovecraft thing was both a really interesting thing for them just to, to start to explore, but then ultimately they were never really able to go through with it because of the way the universe is set up.
2: I don't. Well, I mean, to kind of before we move on, I want to touch a couple things. It's like one, I don't really feel like Leviathan is necess- like the DLC, not the entity. Um, is this really inconsequential thing? Because I think it does sort of like you know you get hints as to what it all means you know from the base game it it ends up
0: carrying things I, i don't mean to make it sound like it's inconsequential in like learning information i just meant like its effect on the universe let's say like this is more of a dlc where you learn rather than a dlc that has like a tangible effect on the mass effect universe like in the ways that omega does where it's like Okay, like characters die yep. and yep. Aria's mm-hmm. in control. And like we went through a real arc and a journey, whereas this one kind of felt like it was exposition, the DLC. And it was really good exposition, really well framed exposition. It just, for a game that is completely about like your choices matter, changes will happen, people are going to die, not a lot of consequence happened here. And the characters that like get affected, like Bryson, are just people that show up and they're like, hey, I'm Bryson. Oh, I got shot. Like... <laughs> I was Bryson. <laughs> mm. That was Bryce. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's. I. I, I like the idea that it's the sort of like essential story content because it's super important, especially seeing how mm. Shepard's confrontation mm. kind of wraps up. But. I think the point is super interesting that having played it, like, before the ending and as part of an organic playthrough of Mass Effect 3, it seems like this beat of story that you can't skip over. And I think that's what harms it on its initial release, just because it comes as sort of the first story DLC for Mass Effect 3, the first, like, big added piece of content and expectations are much higher. The hook for the whole DLC was, like, what do the Reapers fear and, like, what secrets could that hold mm. for moving forward? Um And from that perspective, I think it sort of fails, but as a, like, chapter of a Mass Effect 3 complete edition where you can go do this before finishing the game, I I don't see how anyone could, like, skip over it or not have it be one of the most memorable sequences of the game.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, like, despite all the things that, like, we kind of talk about that it appears to be at the beginning, ultimately this is the Reaper origin story, which is what I think it's, like, why I have trouble, like, coming at it, being like, there's no real consequence to this. But, like, as you said, it's not necessarily about consequence in the way that Mass Effect usually is with choices, but it's like, the gravity of what you learn here affects everything that comes later. Mm-hmm.
0: It, to me, it just feels like it comes really late in the story I think is where it hits for me because it it definitely like and and by nature this being like a post launch DLC that's retroactively filling in story for this anything that came out after the release of Mass Effect 3 when you know the story's already ended but they're still trying to tack stuff on that you would have to go back and play through again it's, it's always going to feel like they're retroactively backfilling instead of actually adding new things onto that universe just by nature of when it happens. So, but with, with Leviathan, like we've talked about how story critical it is. It just ends up feeling like this came way too late after I'd already kind of made my peace with this universe and my understanding of it. And now we're kind of getting like additional information. It's like, Hey, did you know, like, I don't want to say this is like full on JK Rowling, but it's a it has a it has a like a sprinkle of jk rowling on it like this nobody's getting dumbledore but it's um it's it's weird and I, I think that's me as someone who played through mass Effect 3 and then never touched any of the dlc and now coming back through and playing through it in the natural order where i did play leviathan before i beat the game and all that it's now i'm going like man i wish i would known this the first time around and it does like make my appreciation of the ending better but i also know like and and like aj was talking about there's the context of this came out after there was a poor reception to the ending of this game and that kind of flavors it as well but we're we're getting into the big theoretical weeds we can pull it on back here i will say as we move on to this next part of the dlc one of the things i like a lot about the investigation parts is that it kind of feels like you're going back through shepard's greatest hits and i feel like some of the mass effect dlc is at its best when it's retracing like how much happened in the mass effect universe for shepard like events that happened around shepard inside jokes whatever and the fact that you're kind of going back through and there's oh there's a piece of sovereign over here and oh you know like here's the thorian and the thorian is this data point that we're mm. going to connect and it has this thing to do with leviathan and it's kind of that like ultimate dream of the narrative is that like everything was connected and everything clicks and it was all part of some greater whole. And I actually do think it does a decent job of that, of making this Levine's the Leviathan stuff, at least feels like it's very contextualized within the universe. Like it's not this complete ass pole where they're just like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, there's a thing out here called the Leviathan and the uh, Reapers hate it. You know, they just hate to see it. And, uh, <laughs> So as, as we learn, as we move on, that if we're going to learn any more information, we need to find this uh, Garneau, who, who is going to be the best source of information that we can find about the the Leviathan and what's been going on. And we got to head over to this place that is already under Reaper attack. And, and this is where things quickly go astray because um, you know we got to kind of get back into... The other thing about this mission that was kind of disjointing for me was I felt like there were really cool parts, and then there were parts where they were like, hey, we got to remember to like do some Mass Effect-ass combat in here, because uh, the parts of this DLC that I really enjoyed were like the investigation, and then the things that happened near the end of this DLC, even the combat parts that happened near the end of this DLC, but this part in particular was the part where I was like, oh man, yeah, this is Mass Effect, this is some fucking Mass Effect I'm playing right here where I'm jumping between cover and there's Reaper Forces landing and things mm. are going all kinds of bad. But can you note know that there's some good horror leanings that start to, to come in here, some uneasiness. Does that kind of tie into that Lovecraftian stuff that we were talking about earlier?
2: Yeah, because like, you get to this mind facility and like everyone's kind of I mean, they're cognizant, like they can talk to you, but like there's like there's like a wall there. You, know, mm-hmm. you can't really have, like, any actual conversations with people. And I... It, it was a different kind of horror, because we talk about, like, the uh, monastery. And, um, mm-hmm. like, that was a very different kind of horror than this. Because, like, that was, like, you know, there was a constant threat of you just getting shanked by a banshee. But mm-hmm. here it's just, like, you don't really know what the actual threat is. You just know something's off. And, like, you are able to move out freely, but everyone everyone's telling you to leave and that you shouldn't be here. And... It was, like, one of the points where the Leviathan, as a concept, really started to, like, you know, feel unnerving like that. Because, like, mm-hmm. what is this thing that has this power that is somewhat like indoctrination, but not exactly, not in the same way? Um, because, like, you get to, so, like, it's really fucking weird. Like, you just walk, it's, like, a, I'm trying to think of, like, a good example, but it's, like, you're going around this place where, like, everyone, like, there's a society here, but mm-hmm. nobody really interacts with anything
0: yeah I mean it is reminiscent in a little ways of like Pharos where you you had yeah. all the thorian people who were under control and just didn't realize it and that's because they were just kind of hanging out and so you get to like there's almost that callback to the thorian and the way that that colony worked and now you're you're dealing with it again uh before you get into some mass effect ass mass effect <laughs> um but it's it's really cool and so i I'm wondering like this this whole section leading up to the you know as we get captured and then have to to break our way out with some really weird that robot sequence was really weird i I still don't know how i feel about that like i was really back and forth on taking over the robot as shepherd and just felt kind of goofy at times but uh All this stuff that builds up, I'm interested to hear, like, AJ, how you felt about, like, all the mining dig site and that kind of, like, sense of unease that you're kind of getting a sense of this isn't just this giant monster that eats Reapers, but this is, like, something that is intelligent and might control people and has, like, a will to do bad things.
1: Yeah, well, certainly, you know, knowing what we do about the Reapers and about the Mass Effect franchise now, this sequence plays a lot differently and a lot more uh, eerily. I think it's mm-hmm. it's creepy from the get-go and creepy by design. I love, like, the horror influence that's throughout parts of this DLC from the investigation to this just, like, you're walking in, this is a hopeless situation, you can't really change anything, you can't save the people here or, like, reverse what's happened. You're really just trying to move forward with your investigation and, and look for answers, and I think this sequence, again, drives home the idea that the answers you're going to get are not going to be pleasant and they're not going to be... Uh, the most hopeful for the galaxy at large, it's going to be this sort of grotesque thing that Shepard's going to have to confront, and the escalation of this DLC. It's not a particularly long piece of content, but like the escalation that happens through it, I think is very well paced. I, I think you can probably play through it in a in a single sitting if you're if you're planning well ahead. And the way it sort of builds to just this fever pitch of like paranoia and just dread setting, I think, is really effective. And the mining sequence in particular is just sort of gross in how just the after effects of this entire sequence uh take place and come to life.
0: Yeah, there's there's so much that's like weird and creepy and gross about this section and like the once you eventually get to the part where you're kind of like realizing you know you see what's what's kind of controlling everyone and it's this, oh, this it's like an orb or something. Man. <laughs> it's like always it's an, always an orb. Space orbs are bad, man. Like space orbs are just bad news and it's like Ooh, i'm uh, not a fan of that also yeah Mm -hmm. i should correct myself on what i said earlier which ken just pointed out i totally thought the robot controlling part was in this and not in uh was not in arrival when you actually do it so thank you ken you can leave that in and let me sound like a dumbass (laughs) okay (laughs) i i don't know why like i always think of that goofy controlling robot thing as being in this one but it's not um yeah no space orbs are bad news it's just a bad time why do people fuck with like half of mass effect could be solved by like hey don't mess with that space technology that's a bad i mean granted mass effect the series would not have started if if we did not mess around with space technology we should not have but (laughs) it's it's the weird story of what's going on um so as, as we gradually learn that all these people have been held as thralls and things are going bad we got to go back to to bryson's lab and kind of figure out what's going on because we have realized that there was an artifact in bryson's lab that looked a lot like the evil space orb and so we should probably take a look at it and try to figure out what's going on and this is kind of a cool part um as we begin to uncover what's going on here um so we start looking for we need and Bryson to get this thing working but we can also get some clues about where that's going and kind of get some more background info on the Bryson family and it, it kind of feels like again so Bryson super animated face and Bryson super animated face it it feels like these are real life actors but also that like these characters were supposed to be around for longer than they actually were in the DLC? I don't, am I the only one, like, getting that impression that, like, Bryson was way too well-modeled? Like, they spent too much money on him yeah. for him to just, like, be
2: <laughs> barely and I, I, in this? I stuff. can't even find, like, who this dude was, like, modeled after. And you, like I I would assume other people like thought of this and noticed it, but there's nothing on it that I can find, so maybe we're just imagining it's, it.
0: it. It's bizarre. I just... Yeah. It's...
2: I mean, if nothing else, maybe they just, like, wanted to make, like, these DLC characters stand out more so than... Yeah, but were any of the
0: characters in the DLC, like, that stand out? I mean, granted, like, the characters that are in the later DLC are actually not... None of them are new characters except for, um, So, yeah, I guess... It's just bizarre. I just keep thinking about it. I keep thinking about like somebody like spent a lot of time making Bryson's face model look really good compared to all the other Mass Effect models, and then all of a sudden he just gets like capped in the first five minutes. It's like, oh, okay.
1: He looks (laughs) looks vaguely like Alfie Allen from Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's about all I can get though. (laughs) Alfie Allen in
0: an early role as Doctor Bryson. Um yeah so we, as we gradually figure out the only way that we're going to really uh get things working here are if we find and bryson and get things going so once again we have to take off after solving some clues to find Anne bryson and this next part is also some mass effect ass mass effect man that's Again, this is the part, you know, we get there, things are going bad, there's Reapers all over this planet, we gotta rescue her so we can go find out what's going on with the Leviathan, and we get to fight a bunch of really cool enemies, but at the same time, this is like, just... Oh fucking Mass Effect! This is the part where I was like, "Man, Harvesters are nothing to my Shepherd at this point." Like, I'm just so power leveled, and I, I, I'm kind of interested to hear like your perspective on this age. I know it's it's probably been a while since you played Mass Effect, but even just porting forward a save from Mass Effect Two and playing from there, it felt like by the end of the game, I was just ridiculously overpowered, and and like they never really scaled the enemy difficulty to be up to that point, and. Granted, I guess they were probably scaling difficulty to be like, okay, this is for say somebody just started a level one shepherd in Mass Effect 3 and they were playing that way. But it ended up making it feel like, yeah, it's kind of a power fantasy, it's kinda of neat, but ultimately
1: I just feel way too overpowered right now. Yeah, my my memories of the Mass Effect 3 gameplay in particular are just like some of the end game stuff throwing the most, like, ridiculously high-level enemies they possibly could in rapid succession to try and make you Mm -hmm. feel overwhelmed, but nothing that was particularly overwhelming. Yeah, especially with, like, a high-leveled save. Uh, I played Vanguard, and I just remember... Hey, welcome to the club. Yes, yes, yeah. (laughs) I remember in that final confrontation just sort of bouncing around uh, between, like, the largest enemies and, like, zooming over here. Oh, nope, there's someone coming this way, zooming back over there. And a lot of it just being like, yeah, shoot through these guys and kind of just, like... The most uh, effective thing in putting up a fight against me was time itself, just like these guys are bullet sponges, essentially, uh, gotta hit him with some powers, gotta shoot him with some guns, zip over here, zap over there, but nothing that was genuinely challenging. And the Leviathan DLC, I think the worst bit of it is the combat sections, where again, it's just sort of shooting gallery type stuff. Uh, it's Mass Effect combat, which like is by no means bad, but none of it has ever been inventive, and... Uh, Leviathan, you're coming for the story. Certainly not the gameplay.
2: <laughs> Part of me wonders if a lot of that comes from just like, is the vanguard class the thing that's overpowered? Because a lot of like the ease of that class hinges on like the survivability through like the recharging shields when you do charge, and things, and I like, think things like that. So I wonder, like, is an infiltrator going to have as easy of a time as we did, or a soldier? I guess, or an engineer? but
0: I guess the other question you'd have though is like when you're making a game like this, how much do you think about balance in terms of like, we want the player to feel challenged versus like, we want the player to feel overly powerful. Cause like, you know, coming from like, I used to do a lot of competitive game coverage. I still follow a lot of competitive games. So like the idea that PVE balancing is very different from PVP balancing. And so while one is, you want one to feel a certain way to where both players feel like they're on an even playing field. If they're in a PVP situation, in PvE, you want the player to feel like they're more powerful and that they can really overcome things and then when you put a challenge in front of their way, you want them to feel like they kind of eke out a win, like there's a way that you kind of meter it and you go back and forth between power fantasy and desperate struggle and I think Mass Effect 3 just never really gets to the part where anything feels like a desperate struggle, whereas like the other two Mass Effects definitely had parts that were way more challenging and kind of required you to think a little bit and you know really like respect the power of the enemies. Whereas by this point, I was like, cool, my shepherd's just a walking army, like, there's just nothing, and that's neat, I guess. But in gameplay, how fun is that after a certain amount of time? Um, anyways, we our walking army goes and rescues Dr. Ann Bryson, who mourns her father a little bit before we gotta let her know that she has also been whoa, 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 whoa. enthralled whoa, whoa, whoa. wait what, what are we skipping over what are we
2: skipping? you're off? skipping over like we, okay when we get to Anne yes. we gotta like we gotta look at these paintings on the wall these very primitive okay, paintings yeah, yeah there's
0: some paintings on the wall that look like Reapers look this is Mass Effect 3 in a nutshell <laughs> that thing on the wall looks like a Reaper
2: <laughs> mm.
0: I mean, I'm kidding Ken you know I do this just to push your buttons I just I enjoy it It's it's fun for me been a long day that's how i get my my kicks at this point (laughs) every monday night i'm like how can i annoy ken during the podcast (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes there are cave paintings on the wall indicating not only well trying to figure out how much we want to give away a a creature that looks eerily like a reaper but also maybe not a reaper which kind of gives us the sense that there is something afoot in these caves on this planet that may hint towards some sort of creature that may be reaper-like, aka could be the Leviathan.
2: Uh, yeah, and they've got like, and in the paintings, like the people that are under it are worshiping it, yes. not running away scared, not so. not running away and dying. Very important distinction between
0: the reapers and whatever these things are. <laughs> um, but then we do get to Anne Bryson. She does mourn. We do let her know that she got mind melded with the evil space orb because she was dumb and touched the evil space orb you don't do that <laughs> but we take her back and we realize that the best chance of tracking down leviathan is going to be her mind melding again so we can t- kind of trace the signal this is kind of the part where i was like this is a weird the way that they're doing this is kind of strange because Edie's basically like oh yeah i can like plug into the subsonic waves of space and like triangulate the location and stuff like it was it was kind of weird i had to kind of be like okay cool just like suspension of disbelief whatever like this is maybe the part where we get into like some weird elder god shit where it's like cool i just don't understand what's going on anymore but the computer does so
2: (laughs) i don't remember the exact lines but it was like she talks about like even like regardless of whatever the thing is like there are only so many ways to like actually make contact yeah like through that. like it's not like it's not elder. God. It's, there is some science to it. Like the science is nebulous, but it is at least like they're not. <laughs> there's video games. Sort of, there's, there's video games. They're not feigning. This is like some sort of fantasy magical thing that they're like inserting. I mean, in the, biotics in the are
0: basically already space magic. So, <laughs> nah. we're already space mages. It's okay. Just be okay with being a space wizard. Also, fun hmm. fact: you can convince if you talk to vega enough here you can eventually take the screaming head experiment back to the normandy cabin and just have it hanging out if that's a thing you want to have if yeah in, if you like. in your cabin <laughs> yeah. R- really popular with the romantic interest in this
2: game. I, I was literally thinking like that that thing would be in the sex scenes like when somebody comes <laughs> to your cabin at the end of this game that <laughs> severed husk head is probably in that scene now. Oh, God.
0: Oh, I kind of want to find a scene now to see if that actually... If you can actually do that. To so where it, like, goes to this romantic scene in the cabin and all that. And then there's just, like, the screaming head in the background just hanging out. <laughs> like like <laughs> a Halloween thing that never got put away. <laughs> oh, man. So, there is one choice that we need to make here. Which is, um... We we have Anne kind of mind meld here. And... uh. As they trace, we can either use renegade interrupts to prolong exposure and get an exact location, or we can have we can cut her off and basically like keep her mind safe and have her become a war asset, but we won't have the exact location. So this is where, once again, we're going to play the game called Who's a Monster. Uh, AJ, what did you do in this situation?
1: Well. You know, I didn't play through this one again this time. <laughs> do you remember? Did you remember what you did the first time around? Honestly, I can't. I think that's a bit of the problem with this DLC, is the conclusion is so strong that sort of the details of it have
0: faded um, away. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ken, what'd you uh, do?
2: I'm gonna get it enough to through the whole thing.
0: You're a bad person, Ken. Come on. <laughs> I Come on! By this
2: point, like my my mindset was like, you know, they're framing Leviathan as like this Reaper killer, and like I played the I played Leviathan, you know, at the very end, like and Desi has happened, like all this awful thing. Like we're losing the war at this point, and it's like I always envision my shepherd like desperate to the point where he was willing to risk,
0: willing to th- sacrifice th- a person. Is that worth the risk, Ken?
2: <laughs> I mean. You pick destroy, too, don't you come in for me? Oh no, we're gonna talk about destroy.
0: Don't worry, but <laughs> because, like I said, I think we came to that conclusion based on very different reasonings um, anyways, whether we got a rough location or an exact location, uh we can go check that out uh which here's one of the things that maybe I don't like about that particular decision, so while it is like an ethical choice, uh, if you do narrow down the exact location, but you go to the other systems where the Leviathan could have been, there are war sets there, war assets there that like offset how much you lost from having her, having Anne Bryce Bryson mind meld, which is kind of kind of weird given the overall tone of this game and how it uses so, war assets to kind of be like you made a sacrifice so you got to deal with the consequences and all that
2: like well i mean i assume that those war assets are still there whether you got like no so like they, they they only they show are a, contingent they're, yeah they're
0: contingent on you specifically like frying and bryson's brain
2: that's fucking weird hmm. yeah
0: no i didn't believe it either until i was doing the the read-up for this episode and i was like oh oh that's not good <laughs> um so we head head over to a great name Cytofit, uh and we land on Despo- Despoina just
2: just Des- Des- I don't know These to- ponies <laughs> <laughs> to quote Thor from Infinity War all words are made up Yeah yeah no
0: they're all made up And so we land on what is a you know to really go with the Lovecraftian imagery here uh a giant water planet with a bunch of wrecked ships on it and as we cruise around well so first when we come rolling in on the normandy shuttle uh we have a bit of an interruption from some sort of energy signature and cortez barely manages to save our bacon yet again cortez the mvp cortez the greatest love cortez truly ken says he wishes that polyamory was an option (laughs) Sorry, I'm but, I fucking far- sure. but I we're still figuring out like the one-on-one relationships stuff. We can't get yeah. into polyamory yet. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe in Mass Effect Seven, <laughs> or in Dragon Age Four because Dragon Age is way ahead of the game on that stuff. So. That's also um, true. They could they could show fire Emblem a thing or two. <laughs> uh, we, we we land and we get to kind of explore around and this is another cool part where we get a lot of that, like, Lovecraftian horror stuff where we're like, oh man, there's a ship's crew here and let's read the logs. Surely nothing bad happened to... Oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, as we gradually learn of them. I, I think they start eating each other? I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure there was some mention of light cannibalism at one point and that's when <laughs> I was like, boy, things really went bad here. Um... And you also kind of get this point where your squad mates are starting to realize that the scope of what this thing is, and they actually start to say, like, hey, uh, maybe this Leviathan thing is so dangerous that no one should use it because we have no idea what's going to happen when we actually find it. Like, this there's this whole idea that it is the Reaper Killer, but it being you know, I mentioned in my notes like the idea of an apex predator, and like that. That means it also hunts everything else, not just reapers, you know. And mm-hmm. there, there's you're starting to get a sense that it might not distinguish between a mutual uh enemy and someone it may be able to help out, like it, it's just gonna eat, it's just gonna kill. <laughs> um, but as we soon realize, the the signals coming from below the water, and we need to get a Well, we need to get the shuttle up and running, but we also need to get a mech up and running. And Cortez gets another awesome moment of holding out at the shuttle as we get all these plugs situated and get everything rolling. Shout-outs to to Cortez for holding it down. (laughs) And then we get to what I will say is probably the coolest part of this entire DLC, which is where we play Titanfall. We just straight-up suit up in a mech. And I was trying to remember, and you point this out too, like the last time you pilot an atlas and I guess you can do it in Grissom Academy which I totally forgot I always skip over that part where you can actually get in the mechs and, and fight with them but
2: mm. uh, it's it's it feels cool. I, so like the thing is in theory you're supposed to like, if there is an atlas anywhere in a fight you're supposed to be able to hijack it because if you kill the pilot instead of destroying the actual mech you can use it but like and that was like a huge thing in the marketing because like I remember that was like one of the things that they were always bringing up in trailers. But that I always felt like the work to get to that point never felt worth using it when I could just yeah, charge anything I want. Alice's die pretty quick.
0: <laughs> like Yeah. Again, the larger enemies in this game end up just being bullet sponges whereas it's the smaller enemies that are more dangerous. So like every time I saw an Atlas, I was like cool. I'm just going to shoot it a couple times with my Madoc and bye. Peace. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, but Titanfall is a cool game. That's what I thought about this whole segment. <laughs> I mean, that's
2: that's fair. Titanfall 2 is a cool game. Titanfall 1 was so... No, it
1: was alright. Still cool. Lowercase worse. c, cool.
0: Yeah. 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 It had I'm the good. smart pistol. You can't diss on the smart pistol. The most broken-ass video game <laughs> gun to ever be made. Uh, And then we get to go diving, and... Boy, this is the part where I went from like, oh, this is this is pretty cool so far. I'm kinda interested in what this thing is doing to like, oh man, this 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 is getting real fucking real real fast because Oh boy, you start to see the, the shapes move and the shadows and all that kind of stuff, and you start really feeling like, oh man, what the, the hell is going on here? And uh, Then we see Leviathan. And boy, that thing sure does look like a Reaper. <laughs> that uh that's a big mean squid (laughs) and uh you know i this this whole part is really really cool and i mean we're gonna spend a little bit of time here and uh and, and really dig into this but just to like start off like the idea that you're mind melding with this ancient being and it's it's also like you know we have mind meld it has only been like asari and stuff like that and having it be like this ancient being that looks exactly like a reaper is super freaky like immediately i was like this is gonna go bad this is not good like <laughs> mm-hmm. um but i guess we'll start with uh ken and we can kind of talk about like getting into the actual dialogue that we have here with the life as we learn more about what this thing is like what were kind of your thoughts about this this character in this setting this scene
2: so, it's a weird thing to like immediately jump off of, but I feel like we should talk about the fact that it completely annihilates indoctrination theory by just yeah by nature yeah. of what it is.
0: No, that's that's a perfectly good place to start. Um, if you want to elaborate on that a little bit, because I I admittedly was not super hard into the camp of like what indoctrination theory is and all that kind of stuff. I know the rough gist of it but i never really got big into the theory crafting and like the because i always felt like it was kind of trying to rewrite an ending that people didn't like and so Hmm. i was like "Ah, i'm not really down with that i get that people are disappointed but i was never really like it's it's kind of like how you know there's a there's a theory that ferris bueller's day off uh actually takes place within like cameron's mind and like Ferris Bueller and his girlfriend and like everything that's happening. It's all like figments of Cameron's imagination as he's trying to like struggle with his depression and stuff like that. Like that's an interesting thought experiment, but then you watch the movie and you're like, ah, that's not what happened. And I felt the same way, like, you know, playing mass effect. I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe it'd be kind of cool if Shepard was indoctrinated, but that's not what happened. So, uh, but if you want to like expand on that stuff a
2: little bit more as someone who is more learned in that area because like I personally wasn't I was like I was I wasn't opposed to indoctrination theory but I also was like this is a, a long shot that people are like cuz like not every point that people would bring up really seemed to hold water where like some of it like they point to one thing and I'm like that makes sense I can buy that but I mean so I guess we're going to the thing that sucks about this is like you can't really talk about Leviathan without us kind of skipping ahead a bit so one of the main like pillars of the indoctrination theory, the idea that Shepard is being slowly indoctrinated throughout the trilogy, and that Mass Effect 3, like the end of Mass Effect 3, is this sort of, um, final fight in Shepard's mind, I guess is the best way to describe it, mm-hmm. requires some a character that appears at the end of the game to not be actually real. And so, yeah. we learned that the, the Leviathan in eons ago created this Artificial intelligence that was meant to sort of like mitigate conflicts between synthetic and organic people, and we later like we don't. I guess we don't need to go into specifics of what. Well, no, actually we'll have to. But basically, yeah, we can
0: we can talk about it now. I mean, we're basically so just in it now, so we can just talk about okay. this whole thing. So
2: yeah, so this is this is the catalyst, which is we later find out is an AI that created to control the reapers, and. The entire, like the crux of indoctrination theory, requires catalyst to not be a real thing, and so by Leviathan, you know this entire piece of DLC existing, which basically spells out the origins of the reapers, and also by extension the catalyst, and you have another character that is actively acknowledging the thing that has to be fake for that theory to hold water all the other sort of, like, happenstance and coincidences and things that you can point to and that they are, none of it holds water anymore. Because, like, the very core basis of that theory is undone by this DLC.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so that was, like, a, I mean, amongst all the other, like, the actual interesting, like, parts of finding out the origin story of the Reapers, that is what always stuck out to me, is because, like, even with the extended cut it I mean, it basically undoes that theory but, like, not in, like, the most concrete way. It is just, like, kind of, like, by not bringing it up in an extended ending that is supposed to sort of tie up all the loose ends that people had questions about. If it doesn't do that, you assume, like, by omission that it is discrediting that. Mm -hmm. Where this is the first actual, like, concrete, like, sorry, guys, you were wrong. I mean,
0: I feel like it also sets up a very necessary, like, basis. Like you were talking about, we get a very real sense of why the reapers are doing what they're doing because even going into this we kind of you know in mass effect 2 we get the sense of like okay you know they're kind of turning everyone into liquid slurry that then turns into like they can fuel that into making a reaper somehow and that's neat and all that but we still don't get a general sense for like okay why do they want to make more reapers like what is their objective like what is the greater thing that they're trying to do and you know finally we've got it here which is that it's you know there's an artificial intelligence tasked with making sure that life was preserved and as things always go with this every single freaking time uh it it concludes that the only way to preserve life is to destroy life, essentially. Or rather, like, destroy it by controlling it. And so... Right. Uh, the Leviathans are quickly killed by all the servants of the intelligence and turned into Harbinger, which is the first Reaper. That's, like, a cool little throwback is that we know, like, yeah. oh, Harbinger was the first Reaper. Awesome,
1: that's an awesome throwback, and I love how Shepherd yeah. reacts to it as well, of just like, oh, shit, no.
2: really? Huh. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> and it... It all kind of like the Leviathan looks like a, what we know, the Reapers look like, and it kind of explains like why, like as obnoxiously stupid as it looked, the human Reaper in Mass Effect 2, like why does this look like humans? Like now we know why Harbinger looks like that, like it's like you know the chicken before the egg well, kind of thing. Like
0: the the way I saw it, because like the other like hole in that is you know all the other Reapers look like Harbinger too. It's not just Harbinger. And so I feel like that retroactively made Mass Effect 2, like the final boss, feel a little bit more impactful just because it was like they were so afraid of Shepard that they altered, they were going to alter their form to try and combat him because they saw him and by extension humanity as a species that had evolved past their creators. And so they needed like a greater form than the one that their creators took. I thought that was like a cool, I I don't know if that was the intention or not, or if they're just like, they had just watched you know terminator 2 and we're like that movie fucking rules let's make, let's make this giant ass <laughs> robot that looks like that but uh it's it's interesting because i the other interesting part about this is that the leviathans that are remaining on this planet that are still surviving after all this time acknowledge that their tool is doing exactly what it was set out to do and, yeah. and they're like, yeah, it sucks, and we think it's run amok, and we want it to be stopped, but it's also doing the thing that is exactly yeah. what we told it to do. Yeah. And that... I, I just find this, this part is really cool because, like, for me, I kind of don't like that we're setting down these boundaries. Finally, we're being like, okay, you know, it was an AI that went bad. Like, that's a pretty typical sci-fi trope. But at the same time, the way it sets this whole thing up to be like um to recognize that Shepard is the the thing that might break the cycle to the point that even the original creators who have been hiding away for cycle after cycle after cycle are willing to stick their necks out on the line for Shepard uh which is yep. what eventually comes to happen like it was it was kind of a cool reaffirming of we're going to actually do it this time no matter what it takes like it's mm. I I like that. And also, these guys are just freaking cool, man. Like, I'm looking at pictures of them right now on the wiki and stuff like that. Man, they're just awesome. (laughs) They're they're big, and they're mean-looking. And then, you know, AJ, tell me how you feel about the Leviathans. I think,
1: yeah, incredible payoff to this little piece of story DLC. This entire confrontation is so interesting and some of the best Mass Effect stuff. You just get, like, capital L lore for the Mass Effect universe, which I personally can't get enough of. I think it's appropriately creepy, and the actual, like, mind-melding of it all really doesn't feel similar. I mean, the Asari are an entirely different bag, but this feels significantly more invasive than any of the other Mm -hmm, mind-melding type of stuff. You know, when it appears as, like, a deformed version of the Shepard avatar and is sort of speaking through Shepard's image in that, like, narrative dream sequence is all very interesting. And sort of literally walking through, or walking Shepard through the history of the Reaper's and all mm. through that history it's the sequence that i guess serves to remind shepherd and the player that like as as hard as you try like this is a losing fight you're losing this war you're fighting with powers that you really cannot comprehend let alone fight against and i do love shepherd's well i guess it matters on how you play it but sort of shepherd's like willingness to stand up against this significantly forceful foe and sort of say like hey you're wrong you've been watching you know that this cycle itself is different uh i might be the one who's able to at least put a stop to the reapers and and fight off this cycle it's just some of the most compelling stuff i think in mass effect 3 a game full of very satisfying conclusions in my opinion uh just constantly topping itself in terms of satisfaction for the player who's invested in these storylines over time And Leviathan gives Shepard this one-on-one confrontation with, like, something that's truly never been seen before in the game. You know, you don't get to speak to a Reaper all that often, if ever, Uh, and this opportunity in the Leviathan DLC is particularly interesting in that capacity. The design, personally, I wish it was just more out there, uh, but I get what they're going for with it being the model for the original Reapers. Um, It's super compelling just dark stuff at the bottom of the ocean here i'm a sucker Mm -hmm. for any of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. the entire dive sequence as well reminds me of like uh james cameron's the abyss it's just foreboding and Mm -hmm. ominous like having if this was someone's first time through the dlc you know that dive sequence has to be some of the most gripping stuff in all of mass effect uh not knowing what you're gonna get at the bottom of the ocean there it really is effective stuff i love this piece of dlc Mm -hmm.
0: It's it's funny that we get so involved in like exploring the void of space, and then like the idea of just going to the bottom of an ocean on a planet is like so freaky. I, w- I was thinking about this recently with uh, Outer Wilds. Yes, and, like I love Outer Wilds, but you know, besides the Dark Bramble, which is just evil, um, I was actually really scared for a long time of going into the core of Giants Deep, just because there is something about like deep underwater that just freaks me out. And I was like, why am I so cool just drifting in the void of space? But the second you talk about going like fathoms under the sea, it's that's even scarier. Like that's frightening. And I think this does a really good job of portraying that. It, it, it's really yeah. cool.
2: And I think just to like, sort of get my like wrapping thoughts on this particular uh, exchange, I think like along with like you know the, the whole like undercutting indoctrination theory the thing that really sticks out to me most about this is that it colors the ending in a way that i don't think the game is ever like was like even with an extended cut or changed ending i don't think it was ever going to quite concretely acknowledge which is why like and when we get to the finale i, I can talk about this more but what sticks out to me is that like that ending is not black and white in the way that's It's portraying the issue and the character that you have in front of you. And I think it... Not to, like, you know... I'll never take somebody's ending choice away from anybody. But I think seeing Leviathan and then going to what happens at the end, I feel like it gives you a reason to maybe skew away from certain decisions more so than anything that you get from that scene in particular. Because it is... You kind of have to like you don't take that conversation at the very end of the game at face value anymore. I mean, if you ever did, because like you kind of you realize that you are dealing with basically a, a broken artificial intelligence. Like you have to, you like you don't actually be, to get to confront it about anything like you do in a lot of the other situations like the Mass Effect. But you do kind of have to make a decision based on not only what this thing is saying but what you know about it. From things that you've learned from from Leviathan.
0: Right. It's it's not this like all seeing, all knowing catalyst of vast intelligence or some sort of like space child god from two thousand one Space Odyssey. Like it's it's just a asshole robot that went amok. Like that's that's really what it is. So that's why shooting it is always the best option. It's the I... it's the choice we canonically endorse here on Normandy FF. no we do not. <laughs> uh yeah, but I guess sort of wrapping thought, that kind of wraps up for me. Do you have any wrapping thoughts on this DLC, AJ?
1: Yeah, I think we sort of touched on everything I really wanted to speak to. it. It's such an interesting piece of content for Mass Effect specifically. I think its initial release strategy sort of turned people against it, or, you know, the game in general. But as as just a piece of Mass Effect story that you can look back on now these years later, I think it's one of the most interesting bits in Mass Effect 3, and certainly one of the most unique sequences in the entire trilogy um mm. i'm a sucker for ocean stuff there's great ocean stuff in this bit of dlc and getting that very needed history of the reapers it couldn't come at a better time um for the conclusion of mass effect 3
0: mm-hmm. it's a it's a good game turns out mass effect 3 a good game yeah
1: i i do love who the game it mass effect 3 and i paced my playthrough first time around well enough to have only ever experienced the extended cut. Um oh, so, my experience with Mass Effect 3 is all positives. Really
2: do love the game. Have you have you seen it? Have you seen the original Oh, I, yes, I, I see I have seen the original okay. ending, yeah. Cuz I mean, well I I'm a person that like never had an issue with it. Like I mean, going back and looking at it now, like compared to the extended cut, I'm like, yeah, like the, there is there are some things that need to be changed here, but I also like I'm a person that thinks that the extended cut might have changed a little too much in some things, which we will talk about when we get to that episode. But yeah, like, I, I'm i always happy to meet somebody that, like, doesn't have that, like... What 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 did you call it, Eric? Like, poop at the bottom of the brownie? like that Poop at the Whatever. bottom of the brownie. <laughs> yeah, that sort of mindset towards it. I don't think it's, like, a huge tragedy. or
1: Like, you know, it's not the worst thing that has ever happened. I just like the added context of the extended cut. But, you know, as with most things, the controversy around Mass Effect 3 is... Grossly overblown.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely feel the same after having played this again this time. That and obviously, we'll talk a lot about this because we've only got a few episodes left in this uh, two more in this here series. Wow, yeah, two more. Oh, <laughs> that's thousand yard stare over here for a second. Um, <laughs> oh boy, because that's two more episodes until we're on Andromeda, and that means I gotta start playing Andromeda. Why did we plan that's Andromeda? What you're why did we plan Andromeda to be during game release season, man? We did not plan this well at all. This is going to be bad. We're going to have to... For the folks at home, we're going to have to have a logistics meeting at some point to figure (laughs) this out. Boy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that does it for our DLC talk, but uh, AJ, Ken likes to run our guests through a little bit of a lightning round uh, question about their playtime with Mass Effect 3 at the end of every one of our guest podcast sessions, so... Yes, yes, yes. If you are ready and able... Try and try and think of all the thoughts you had during your first playthrough of Mass Effect Three, because Ken's about to run you through it. So ready as I can. will ever
1: be, hit me. All right, so, who was your romance? Uh, my romance was Miranda, which disappointing in Mass Effect oh, Three.
2: <laughs> hey, that's that's true. But it, there's some good stuff in Citadel, though. Which yeah,
1: I, her character is great, yeah. but you know, just the actual payoff of her romantic arc in Three sort of was a letdown.
2: I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. That's kind of like a recurring theme for anybody that was like from Mass Effect Two that is not Garrus Vakali. Yeah, because like if they're not on this ship, like you're getting the bare minimum <laughs> of that. It could have been Ashley. Um, so,
0: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, did you sabotage the Genophage here? I did not. Good, great, good,
0: good person, good person on the podcast.
2: Uh, did you side with the guests, the Koryans, or make them love each other?
1: So I kind of goofed up and played those missions out of order and ended up siding with the Geth, but that's not what I would have done. I was planning to make them work together.
2: Oh, God. So you saw, you saw Tali jump off the side. Oh. Yeah, and I was
1: like, what did I just walk into? And then I realized, like, I went back and looked at sort of a mission list, and I was like, oh, no, I played something out of order and, and really uh, screwed the pooch on that one.
0: Did you go back yeah. and, like, rectify it? No, that's
1: wait? not how I play Mass Effect.
2: There oh, you go. Respect, we respect that. Respect that. Yeah. Respect that. Um, which ending did you pick? I went with synthesis. I I'm gonna like I have found, like, just in like the past week, there are a lot of people that do that, and that's um that's a choice you know, that some people make.
1: I had to I had to hit those Reapers with uh facts and logic, so hit them with the synthesis. Yeah, I was, I was like,
0: about to say you picked the, the centrism ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I gotta ask like since I mean not Eric and I didn't pick it, so no one's gonna be like going to bat for it on the finale, do you have, like, a problem with, like, the consent sort of, like, situation of that?
1: Well, yeah, sort of in, like, retrospect, I think it's it's definitely problematic. But at the time, for me, Destroy just felt like the ending to kind of pick that was meant to be the like, you know, the capital G good guy ending. If you play your chips right enough, like, you know, if you have enough points, your shepherd will live. You'll get this little cutscene. And it just felt to me, at the time playing through it, like a cheap reward and like not what I would would have wanted my character to do. Control, I think, is the most outright just like um if it was if it was, you know, a Star Wars game, it would have been like the full Sith ending control where you're just like seizing this power for yourself. And synthesis, calling it the centrism ending is certainly you know, uh, accurate. It walks the line of the possibilities for it, I think, are the best for the galaxy overall. In reality, what will happen, I mean, right off the bat, you bring up the consent thing, which is, like, not a good look, um, but the way I played through my Shepherd and his relationships with the galaxy at large, I like to believe, um, that he had the best interests of everyone else at heart, and that the synthesis ending was, meant to truly not only you know save this cycle but sort of change uh, the galaxy at large moving forward and thankfully mm. uh there's never been story content released that uh speaks to the opposite of that so i choose I continue to choose to believe so
2: mm. I don't know but like the call of story that like the good ending per se because I don't think there is a i mean best it has, or good ending It has repercussions, like, you... but Maybe like, I mean, the they, least of all of them. It's I don't even know about that because like, I mean it depends on like what you're where you're coming from because like what's the point of like even salvaging the Geth in on Renock if you're just gonna kill them later?
0: If you're looking at it from a very objective standpoint, you salvaged them so they would get you to the point where you could then destroy the Reapers.
2: Well, yeah, but that, and that's the thing is like that's it's a very like, renegade very utilitarian way of of it. And, yeah, well I mean it is red.
0: I mean if you yeah, think but, about the, it in but, uh, terms of like the colors of Paragon and Renegade it is right. the Renegade choice.
2: And, and that is, you know, that that seems like fairly consistent. But like, there are people. Like, you, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit. Like, the, we feel like there are probably people that picked destroy for like hundred percent, hundred percent picked it a just very particular. Shepard might live
0: hundred. Yeah,
1: Red, red's my favorite color too. So, uh, not choosing destroy was a tough decision. On top of that, as well. Mm.
0: That's why the Fair best enough. choice is to shoot the ghost kid but, and <laughs> say <the laughs> fuck you to the system. Break the wheel. Get out of here. Like, come on and.
2: And then he proceeds to just wipe. Yeah, them all
1: strand out. all of your teammates to a just horrible death. You know, well, anyway,
2: that is a conversation the for rubble. two weeks from now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we'll talk about that two weeks from now. Before we take off, just a quick shout out to all our patrons, especially one Ruben Vanderlund. Thank you so much for your donations and everybody else who puts in money towards Norm DFM, keeping the lights on, paying for that SoundCloud. Woo! Love having that SoundCloud paid for. <laughs> if you want to donate to it you can head over to patreon.com slash norm dfm or you can head over to twitter and go to twitter.com slash norm dfm show and you can follow us there see when all our episodes are coming up we got two episodes left next week citadel week after that london we're we're there ken it's gonna happen it's all happening right here right now and oh boy it's it's coming like a freight train next week is gonna be I mean, Ken. We talked about this after the show last week, but the, the next two episodes are, are going to be beasts. They're going to be very long. <laughs> They'll be very discussion heavy. It'll only be you and me. We've we set that Lovely. aside. We knew we knew it was just going to be the two of us because we didn't want to subject anybody else to this. That'd be a horrible. Could you imagine? Thing to do. <laughs> oh, there's just like, oh sure I'll come so on your podcast much in Citadel. three
2: hours later
0: <laughs> yeah yes. seriously like Citadel is the size of two DLCs essentially and London like we say London but that also includes the Cerberus base and all that leading up to it it's like there's so much to go over and oh boy so I'll be <laughs> I'll be playing that actually sometime this week I might plan on streaming that like we did with Citadel but I'm not sure yet uh, I will update, and Ken will use the social media channels and stuff to pump that out if we do decide to do that. But otherwise, that'll do it here. For AJ, thank you so much for having you know coming on, talking Leviathan, talking all things evil, and horror. We'd love to have you on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a genuine pleasure.
0: For him, for Ken, for me. Thank you, everybody who tuned in. We'll see you next time on Normandy FM.